you're listening to the 21st Century Change Agent Show. This podcast is for those who are always looking for ways to grow as a person and as a leader. On this show, you'll find no ordinary conversations, as I will be speaking with unique people who are already rewriting the narrative. My name is Barbara Ziga, and I help companies to achieve more by putting their people first. Head to Lakehouse Consulting website to find out more and subscribe to a bite-sized, hand-picked newsletter from me. Thank you for tuning in and get ready to receive your weekly dose of inspiration. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Change Agent Podcast. Thank you so much for joining As Today, I have a very juicy conversation for you on the future of artificial intelligence or AI. I hope I'm not alone when I say that when I think of AI or machine learning, a picture of something similar to a Terminator or a scene from iRobot comes to mind. And mixed with all the news out there and not too long ago with the world talking about how AI has been built to make our jobs and us as humans redundant. But we also know the media likes a big bold title and a sensation. However, the development of novel data-driven technologies such as machine learning or AI invariably create novel ethical challenges and dilemmas which is something we often see being raised and questioned in the industry and across social media, with most recently Netflix releasing The Social Dilemma. What is the future of AI and AI ethics? How can we use AI for good and create social benefit? And when and how our current world and the one we're building can come together and share this earth cohesively? These are just some of the questions I explored in a conversation with Maria Accenter, who calls herself a Transylvanian AI ethicist. Maria is currently part of the PwC UK team working on responsible AI and AI for good, so an excellent person for me to ask these questions to. During this conversation, I quoted various articles, so please make sure you check out the notes section of this episode for any references and further reads. So buckle up and here is my conversation with Maria on ethical AI for the future. Well, hi, Maria, and thank you so much for joining me on the 21st Century Change Agent podcast. Um, On this show, we celebrate change makers who are pushing that needle and are already rewriting the narrative for a better future. And I certainly see you as one of those. So I'm super excited to have you here and unpack all AI with you today. Um, So welcome on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. Before we dive into the rich conversation that I know we will have today, um, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your work in the responsible AI and AI ethics space? Certainly. So uh, I work for PwC UK, which is a big professional services company, and I sit uh, within uh, our central center of excellence, if you want, uh, on AI. I've been there for um, close to four years and before that, um, a lot of typical consulting work uh, around digital and, and, and technologies covering all diverse technology. And then four years ago, I started focusing on AI just at the inception of this center of excellence, where I started 
Europe is specializing in um, the uh, topic of um, responsible and ethical AI and how do we look at the layers that wrap uh, the, 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 the actual tech, the data, the algorithm and the infrastructure they come in, what are the implications, what's the impact, um, the disruption that triggers and how should we as, as businesses and uh, first of all us as a business and then the advice we provide to our clients uh, understand all those implications of, of a new technology and being able to um, react accordingly. Um, I work very closely with uh, my data science team um, uh, and, and I'm, I act as an AI ethicist for our projects. We build a lot of exciting tech and at the moment I have a big project um, on, on uh, um, uh, using uh, various type of data to test the resilience of our, our employees' stress. And there's obviously a host of ethical implication. Um, and I'm very excited to work on this project and being able to, uh, to uh, present firsthand to my team uh, what it means and what impact, positive impact, this type of analysis and work can have. But I also um, work with our clients. So um, we have uh, engagement um, uh, with clients across different, very different sectors and industries on the same topics. And um, uh, th that work focuses more, more on the operational side of uh, AI ethics, which looks at how do we create the right processes and structures to be able to have those conversations, because as AI is something, a technology that's very new and comes to disrupt um, the value chain. It also disrupts the way we build it and use it. Therefore, for most of the businesses are not ready. So they have to prepare themselves to be able to having those conversations. And lastly, uh, I'm I'm a, 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 an advocate and and uh, a bridge between the firm and a lot of the entities doing uh, AI ethics and policy uh, within the UK. Mainly, I collaborate with the uh, All Party Parliamentary Group on AI, but also with global institutions like World Economic Forum and I Triple and um, uh, the, the, the beauty of this collaboration is, is that uh, we learn so much from each other and we share so much information that's extremely valuable into achieving a, a true ethical outcome with, with AI. And I've been um, very grateful for the last four years. I've been, although I've been extremely hectic, and I, I think I've lived three lives in the last four years. And I'm not even comment about the last year and those those two months. But it's been an exciting, uh, exciting um, joyride, and I, I feel we, we we've just begun this journey. Thank you, Maria. And uh, I can totally, I totally hear you about the past year. I think it, we've lived about, you know, eight of our nine cat lives in that alone. Um, but um, it sounds like that you're into, in the middle of a really varied, varied work, lots of varied projects, varied clients. Um, so I'm even more excited to pick your brain um, because consulting work really allows um, you to see AI in, in sort of diversity of spaces and locations. So let's ease into the conversation and start where I usually start with my guests, which is the terminology and unpacking some of the most common narratives in this space. Um, so first of all, artificial intelligence or AI, when someone says that, as much as I like to think that I'm better than that, <laughs> I always get this image of a Terminator or a scene from iRobot. <laughs> so thanks, Hollywood. Um, oh, yeah. so we back Hollywood. <laughs> 
So when you are asked to define or talk about AI, how do you introduce this concept to people, to ordinary mortal people? Um, what is AI and what is it there for? I'm delighted you asked this question because I think there's something that, especially in the in the uh, uh, private sector, in the industry, but across the society, we don't do this framing exercise that's very, very important. And if you look at AI, um, the academic and research community where um, uh, AI has been a topic for many tens of years. They haven't yet come up with a definition. You know, various groups have ha a various definition of it. And as a result, it triggers this um, uh, very heated debate. But what are we talking about? And while that's healthy, because we have yet to figure it out what human intelligence is and how we define it, uh, hence uh, applying the same principle to artificial intelligence. I think it's really important to look at the context. I, I, I work in a, in a, in a for-profit organization and for us, having a clear definition of AI was really, really important. And this is what we have done at the beginning of our uh, journey in the center of excellence for AI is, is to actually say, but AI in PwC means this and this and this, and those are the technology we're going to be using. Anything else is perhaps AI or not AI in other words, but not with us. So the, the, the way we approach it is to say that um, AI is an umbrella term that defines a set of technologies that have the ability to sense the external environment, um, to process that the data that's being collected from the external environment, being able to provide uh, actions or decision and then a loop of learning, and this is this is basically this for this, this way of char characterizing AI is is used by has been used by by others. I think it's easier to comprehend and starting jumping straight away and listing all the different technologies because that requires you to understand a little bit better. Uh, you know, how computer science work in the first place and have a little bit more knowledge before you start saying, but AI is machine learning, deep learning, NLP, compositional agents, and so, you know, simulation optimization um, and, and, and all the other technologies. So um, that's the definition we are using, but um, that's the, the official one for my field of work. But the ones I, I started to embrace more and more is, is the one that is being promoted by Virginia Dignum and others in, in the research field are saying that AI is a technology that does all this, this right? Uh, senses, thinking, acts and learns but is also the social, economical, and political context that comes attached to AI, meaning the context where this tool operates and um, the context where we can see the ripple effects of, of its, its functioning. The fact that we are dealing with a technology that has uh, agency and interacts with, with its external environment, adapts to it, and also has a certain level of autonomy. And this is more a definition that I'm willing to embrace because doing this actually start justifying why uh, thinking about the moral implication uh, is so important, right? I think you've just filled probably a lot of gaps um, for me and for um, the listener as well. And the definition that you just talked about, I had heard 
um, heard that before, that ultimately AI is sort of, it, it needs to bridge the gap between those socio-economic, political and other scenarios. Um, so while we are on sort of this addressing narratives topic, there are, I think, a lot of these sort of sci-fi worthy narratives uh, when it comes to AI. And one of the most common ones is that the robots will make humans redundant or that they will rise up and conquer all of us together altogether. And the feeling is that this will be achieved through mass automation. Um, and obviously, estimating automation risk is challenging, of course. Um, however, Office for National Statistics, or ONS, uh, fairly recently released a study that concluded that young people aged between 20 to 24 um, who are employed um, are more at risk of their jobs being automated than workers aged 35 to 39. And the difference is quite vast. It's 15.7 versus 1.3% respectively. So I would love to get your thoughts on whether this statement about AI making us redundant is purely science fiction or is there more that meets the eye? Another great question. Um, and taking a step back into why did we have this narrative is, is first of all, understanding that uh, humans have been always fascinated with the uh, with, um, uh, the possibility of becoming gods, right? For us to create uh, sentient beings um, that will look like us, behave like us, but we will be in full command and control. I think there's something that if you if you if you if you study uh, history, uh, it, it leads us as, as as far as the ancient Greek uh, Greece, um, where we had this attempt of of creating those intelligence machines that will be our servant. Uh, fast forwarding in, in in our days, that has remained in the in the storytelling uh, uh, around different culture, and especially has fascinated Hollywood ever since its inception. And um, uh, we we all of us in different generation grew up with various intelligence machines, from uh, Robocops to Terminators to. Uh, the ones we've seen in Star Wars and uh, all the ones that have been, you know, uh, more sophisticated. Um, you look at this variety of embodiment of, of, of um, artificial intelligence that uh, also created a, a, a very useful thought, to, um, thought experiment, which, which is fantastic for us because Hollywood and, and film production in general is, is doing is allowing us to dream or to imagine a specific context and how we would behave in that specific context. But somewhere down the line, um, in about 2017, when we, we've seen an acceleration of this um, uh, uh, interest around AI as a result of um, the fact that it was Davos that happened just as, as we speak uh, virtually, as a result, many business leaders and leaders around the world started thinking about um, the impact of automation. There was a, 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 a parallel with that. Uh, we had this surge in interest from the media into portraying artificial intelligent uh, agents um, into a different life. And you know, we we like uh, you, we know that media likes to sensationalize things. And uh, on on this journey, we also have a couple of. Uh, figures, important figures we all know about, like Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking, who came came up and and made their prediction, unquote, their prediction about the fate of humanity, um, 
in relation to AI. And while, like always, there is a possibility, there are like a, a, a multitude of uh, possible scenario, both dystopian or utopian out there, um, we live here right now, right? So we have a large number of problems that very basic and boring AI can solve. And we're still being fascinated by the fact that uh, robots are going to take all our jobs or robots are going to kill us. And luckily, because we came together in this fantastic AI community um, uh, over the, fa the past four years, we have seen a, back, uh, a, a, a strong backlash against this uh, narrative that at some point became quite toxic, toxic for the decision makers, were a bit terrifying. Said, but if I am the CEO of a big global bank and i hear the robots are going to take our job what's my personal responsibility and extend the responsibility if you want for this not to happen because i am a responsible person right and i'm thinking about the well-being of my staff society my children my grandchildren and so on and so forth so there was a positive move in 2019 started 19 and continuing 20 where we will see less and less of those stories and people starting um, losing a little bit of interest in this uh, central, uh, sensational uh, picturing uh, picture of, of AI. In the same time, looking at those claims, especially with the, the, the claims around uh, the robots are going to take all our jobs um, and, and actually debunk it. And as you said, it's difficult to predict how... Uh, how much automation will impact certain jobs but again the same narrative that that started so um uh pessimistic right uh has uh, draw attention for a lot of people especially those looking to use automation to optimize their businesses and um uh, to my total delight I've observed a change in, in narrative, the fact that people now acknowledge that it's not only about job losses, it's about job creation. And furthermore, it's not going to be a clean cut. It's going to be a lot of job augmentation. And um, the last thing I wanted to say about this is, is the fact that in order to avoid the possible downfalls of automation, you need to have a workforce that's ready for the challenges of the digital world. And while uh, it, it's, it's painful to hear that the, the people, the young people are the most affected by, by automation, they also, we keep in mind that those are the digital natives, the ones that understand digital way better than us. And as a result, their capacity of learning is much higher than others. So upskilling is very important, is a term that has been... I think overlooked a lot and um, now we see that there's a surge and quite quite recently in fact um, two days ago um, uh, we published uh, together with World Economic Forum a, rep a report I contributed alongside it's, this um, it's called upskilling for shared prosperity which talks about the fact that upskilling needs to be a strategic initiatives being seen as part of the worker uh, working hours and more importantly 
put the works workers in in the center of, of everything that's being done with technology and impacts their jobs and this is a very very exciting narrative and and because we we heard of these topics from unions and from activists but now it's become a little bit official when world economic forum produces a report and has the backup backup of companies like ours become becomes mainstream and i'm excited to see this that means the sense of very strong message we will automate but we will automate with those worker interest in mind and we will put a break on this the speed of automation to make sure that everyone takes a, a good share of this prosperity that's coming um, and 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 offer equal opportunities as much as possible and equal opportunities for those who will be displaced and that's exciting because that's very different from the dystopian narrative in 2017 well we all we heard is like AI and automation is going to take as many million jobs uh, around the world until a certain period of time. I totally agree. You know, I definitely have heard less of that and the narrative um, shifting. And, you know, the, the whole piece around upskilling, I think, is so powerful. And as you said, you know, uh, you've written about it. I know, you know, McKinsey and company have, you know, uh, reported a lot about that mm-hmm. as well. Um, but there's just, I think, at the moment, even though a lot of C-level professionals um, and ultimately executives and leaders, they recognize that that is needed. At the moment, there still is a little bit... Um, not enough movement and not enough actual doing, but it's good that there is sort of that understanding that, you know, something is coming and we do need to do something about it. They will have no choice because what we have seen with the current pandemic is um, a reliance on more digital tools um, uh, to do proper work. And uh, uh, during uh, 2020, there was this joke and meme on on social media going around and saying, uh, who is the... um, the driver of your digital transformation in your company? Is it the CEO, CTO, or the coronavirus? And guess what? You know, hands on heart, we know that a lot of of big companies have deprioritized digital transformation um, and they have to pick it up again. And that comes hand in hand, right? So once you start digitizing more of your business, you have to be thinking about upskilling. And uh, we don't talk about it. It's, it's because of this reason alone. They go hand in hand. More you digitize, more you need the workforce that understand digital technology, the impact, and, and um, is a partner in this conversation. And we're going to see a huge disruption because, you know, the big question is how many businesses are so prepared to to trust their their workforce um, that they they're going to be even more productive if they go through this process. But um, you know we we're setting a, an example here because we've just uh, we launched actually two two years ago a, a huge global project on new world new skills, and we're doing this to ourselves. And it's fantastic to see how much people have learned about um, data visualization tools, for example, which in in, in the past were you know, uh, alien language for our auditors and, and consultants. So I think it's doable. Once you set up a, a, a an example, we will see more companies doing that. And that will become hopefully the norm if is uh, doubled by public policy, because we need we need a little bit help. I would say a little bit more help from the governments around the world to do this properly. Hundred percent, and and when it comes to sort of government and regulation, we'll, we'll touch on that um, today as well. Um, but um, in terms of sort of tech automation that we sort of started talking about, 
it is nothing new. And we've used it in businesses uh, for economic benefits or any benefits, as you said, obviously, um, you know, you with PwC have been very explicit and defined what you're using um, AI for. But, you know, in businesses, of course, we've used it for economic benefits for years, you know, to increase profits, to be first to market, to reduce costs and so on. However, one of the biggest challenges is automation of ethical decision making. And uh, Dr. Christopher Burr has a brilliant series of articles on this. And in one of them, he quotes a recent Google article on ML ops or machine learning operations, which says, and I quote this, practicing ML ops means to advocate for automation and monitoring at all steps of machine learning system, um, including integration, testing, release and deployment infrastructure management. So ultimately, the whole uh, machine learning workflow. Dr. Burr raises a few concerns with this. Um, however, I'd like to highlight and talk about um, two specifically that I think very directly feed into the DEI narrative. So first of all, um, while the automation of all steps in machine learning workflow um, may bring many economic and operational benefits, there is a possibility of a loss of oversight at critical points that would demand um, a reflective dialogue or a human judgment, which, if not done, could potentially lead to unintended harms or unintended outcomes being missed. And the second concern I'd like to look at is a problem that if an if a machine learning model is affected by missing data bias because of structural barriers for inclusion that disproportionately impact certain subgroups, then ultimately we are building a world um, parallel to this one that will have all the same problems we are struggling to address today and these are and, and these are huge conversations to have in their own um, however I think it is important that we touch on them today so regarding the first point about unintended outcomes and this is an interesting one and I hope you don't mind me quoting one of your recent tweets that you wrote um, after reading a Harvard Business Review article on this and you said it wasn't me, it was the universe or the more professional version, quote unquote, unintended consequences is the excuse tech world is using for their blatant lack of accountability. And with that, no good solution to fix it. Can we go into this a little, please? Could you elaborate and talk us through um, your frustration with this? Yes, <laughs> that that's uh, that's. Uh... That's a nice way of putting it, right? Uh, it's the British sugar coating. Um, um, so where do we start? Is is um, first of all the fact that we need to start framing, as I said at the beginning, AI uh, not as a general purpose technology, which is the case now, but probably more as a as, as a large technology system. Um, because it beha behaves like this, behaves more, displays more of the infrastructure um, capabilities rather than your, your typical general purpose technology. And there's a, re a really interesting piece of work that happens um, at uh, Cambridge University um, uh, with one of my, uh, my friends there, Dr. Johnny Penn, who is um, 
has been uh, picking up on one of the idea of uh, David Runsman, who's a professor uh, at the same university, saying that we should be looking at AI uh, as we look at the corporation, so as, as an artificial entity. And the fact that um, we have had two artificial entities in the past, one is the state, the second is the corporation, gives us a little bit of a knowledge of how the behavior of those artificial agents in relations to us, the humans, um, both individuals and as a group. And the reason I find so fascinating this framing is that you start seeing manifestation of, of AI as an entity in companies like Google and Facebook. And it's enough to, to watch the social dilemma um, to see some of the, uh, uh, the uh, interviewees uh, in the show saying that, I did not expect the algorithms to do this. I think it was one of the, the YouTube former data scientists who actually said that I did not expect the algorithm to behave in this way, which is surprising for a company that prides itself being an AI company uh, at first. But in a, in a way, it's not surprising at all, because this is exactly the type of outcome we should expecting as we see AI being at scale, right? Google makes a very interesting study example, putting aside all the, cha the ethical challenges they have. And it is, of course, they have it because they are the first AI company. So if you look at all the other first companies in their field, they grapple with their own um, uh, ethical problems in the past. So no, no, Google doesn't have the biggest problem of a corporation. There are many others before them. Um, but um, it's interesting to actually see if we can separate the problems Google has as a corporation versus the problem Google has as an AI as an entity, AI at scale, right? And I think um, with that in mind, this is where we will see those unintended consequences, truly unintended consequences, which are truly scary, right? Because um, I, I still uh, I still want to, to give a, a huge benefit of doubt to, to the Facebook team. And I think in their wildest dreams, they were not thinking about disrupting democracy, even if they they, they now being blamed for that. I don't think they had these evil thoughts in their mind that will one day be um, the one instrument that will shake democracy to the core. Um, but uh, put that aside and having a more optimistic outlook is um, acknowledging that unintended consequences will happen is how do we deal with it? And the way to approach it, I think, is, is to learn from cybersecurity, I, I'm a bit uh, intrigued. Uh, how come the, the cybersecurity uh, community and the, the AI one um, are not closer in, closer in conversation? Because if you look at cybersecurity and how they deal with incidents, the same approach should be borrowed by the um, AI practitioners. And furthermore, you know, the cyber, the cyber community has learned that from um, crisis management. And uh, crisis management, I've, I've, I've done my stint, by the way, in crisis uh, management um, uh, before joining the AI team. You do a lot of preparedness, which is a very interesting word. I never heard of it before I, I, I joined that, um, that project um, uh, in PwC. But preparedness is where you start looking at what can go wrong and train your, your team um, to have options of response when something like this happened, right? And while what I had in in, in the tweet uh, specifies something much much less 
grant, then the unintended consequences, uh, the AIs at, at big tech companies have started to uh, manifest is the fact that corporations have are themselves black boxes and uh, those black boxes are being used as an excuse to hide uh, unethical decisions have been have been the case it's been the case um, if you study the history of recent uh, the history of business in recent year it was the case in so many instances right and I, I, I wouldn't want us to repeat this the same mistake again we have the chance to say, we have two type of transparency. One is the explainability transparency of the models themselves, which is a technical problem that is, you know, studying and, and research and 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 methods exist uh, uh, to allow for for increase of transparency of the model. But the the other one that's harder to address is the transparency of organizations, right, where AI is being developed and uh, the clarity of their goals and how they align their actions with those those goals and my frustration in, the, in that tweet actually highlights that the fact that we can't and we shouldn't hide behind corporate organizational doors to justify something and and label it oh we can't do anything about it because yes uh uh, my dog ate my homework, right? Or the universe made me do it. It's stupid. And I think we now it's the time, the fact that we have truly a, a tool, an artifact that will display unintended consequences for us to say, yes, I acknowledge that AI will manifest unexpectedly. So we have to prepare for that. But the other hand, stop using stupid excuses to hide incompetence or unethical purposes and, and actions. I think that last sentence you should say a little bit louder because it, um, I think it could be applied to anything. <laughs> and and you know, there's plenty of people and plenty of professionals hiding behind, you know, ignorance and, and or hiding ignorance behind that. Um, but while we're on that topic, let's bring the um, second concern around data bias. So um, I guess there are two ways we can look at this. One is in form of missing data bias, and the other one is simply data bias. You know, ultimately, to put this in simple terms, um, artificial intelligence and machine learning feeds on data. Data is created and produced by people who have mm -hmm. biases, and therefore data we feed into this AI and ML are biased. So, Maria, to what extent is the statement accurate in your eyes? Uh, I think it's absolutely true. I keep on saying that 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 we should regard um, AI and and uh, and its its uh, bigger component, machine learning, as as a mirror to humanity, because um, be, be, before we we get an outcome um, with with um, uh, of the intelligence machine, there's a lot of human effort to build that. And one of the biggest one is actually to get a, a data set that's going to be used to train um, a model, right? And it's not just about the composition of the data set uh, and and who was the the, the, the the people who created the data set is much more than that. It's about the data sourcing and the data collection. And it's really interesting if you look at the machine learning community um, that the, a lot of um, 
focus has been on debiasing the data sets and the model. While there no acknowledge that in fact bias cripples in the bias that is toxic because there's there's a bias that um, is beneficial and we'll get we'll get to this to in in a second. So the 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 discriminatory side of bias is the one that cripples in at every single stage. So therefore by simply focusing on on a data set and say oh, i devise a data set and I, i'm i'm done i i've done my job you've done uh, you know a single digit of your of your actual job and what we need is a debiasing or or understanding the the problems with uh, the negative bias and where it leads to discrimination potentially leads to discrimination of um, all the other steps that lead to that data set so the machine learning community now is talking more and more about this um, specific stage within the machine learning uh, life cycle of, of the uh, data collection and, and sourcing, because um, this is one of the most important uh, sources of bias, right? When, when um, you start analyzing um, what sort of a diversity manifest or diversity um, a statement you want to make before you actually uh, reach the point and, and choose, let's say, a fairness definition out of the 28 that exist out there. Um, there's a little bit more consideration and, and an analysis of what exactly am I trying to build here and how, what's the diversity stance I'm taking? Is it aligned with um, the, the purpose and the values of the organization I serve? or uh, the community is dedicated to. And I feel like doing this, you have more chances to not only to create fairer outcomes with AI, but also start the processes of creating awareness and, and, and bringing to life those areas of societies when, when we have big problems. And what we have learned from the movements, the Me Too, and most recently the Black Lives Matter is that we have to go both ways we have to go uh, in, in a process of addressing this big discrimination theme that we have seen across uh, uh, for, for, for for millennia at society level and an attempt of of re-changing the the mental models but in the same time the technology we use we have to be looking at every single stage and understand how do you translate this new fairer society translated into the context it operates into actions that will allow us to achieve that and that's hard right because the data scientists can do is that they have limited remit to how much they can act upon it so it's down to all of us that are part of not only developing an ai system but also the user to be able to recognize that and being able to act as um auditors to a certain extent and 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 signal where where we see um th this this um, discrimination happening and what i said earlier about about bias and um i think in our rush of of um, uh vilifying a little bit uh ai uh because it, it 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 reflects so precisely the state of humanity we went in vilifying bias as well and if you look at um how psychology is 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 thinking about bias as as being the shortcut uh, uh, that brain is using to allow us to be more efficient in our day to day life. Um, I think I think it's fair to say that we need to be uh, 
careful when we use bias and not 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 necessarily position it as something necessary negative i think we should worry about when bias turns into discrimination and when bias turns into generating harms all sorts of uh, harms from loss of liberty to social detriment economic loss or loss of opportunity i think it's 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 really important to also make this distinction so that we still keep bias for what it is it's it's also um, a shortcut right and sometimes um and i'll stop here because i think we can go on and on about bias um for, for several hours um in fact we need the uh we need a little bit of bias i would say in some cases and, and some use cases um or in others we need uh ai to force us to eliminate the the uh, uh completely the human bias and that's going to be a, a very interesting endeavor that we haven't had to do before it definitely sounds like a lot of work ahead and uh, especially when it comes to um, and I like what you talked about the um, the need to change mental models and obviously the effect of discrimination and, and the difference between bias and discrimination. So I would like to um, take this even a little further and touch on something that is referred as to whitewashing of AI. And we use this term in other contexts, for instance, whitewashing of the history, um, but it is equally applicable here. So there was this uh, brilliant article by Dr. Stephen Cave and Dr. Kanta Dihal on decolonizing AI. Mm. And they talk about the fact that robots and artificially intelligent machines are often depicted white. Even as simple as you've, if you type in robot in Google Images, you'll notice that immediately. And this often unnoticed pheno phenomenon is problematic and an example of how technology can be racialized. And this is due to the fact that machines are being humanized and appearing more human-like means having a race. Um, and this is not only achieved through the color of the robot, but also the name it's given, the voice, the dialect, and more. And research has shown that people may, may feel more comfortable with a machine if it has the same racial identity as them. And this can be particularly problematic as these images are utilized widely to illustrate this technology in media, which obviously influences how society perceives it. So the reason I'm mentioning it um, is because this raises the question of whether we are feeding this tech with biased data and depicting intelligent machines as white to very directly further perpetuate the systematic racism that already seems like a never-ending battle in the current world, um, where we have to dismantle a system that has be benefited a very certain group of people for the past 400 years. And here we are at ground zero, building something from ground up and are still not ultimately addressing this issue. So I would love to get your views on this. This is this is a mining ground, I have to say. So on one hand, you have a, a technology that um, is is supposed to be neutral, but it's never neutral because it's it's aligned with with some purposes. And on the other hand, you have the society that has historically been not fair um, uh, to very different to a lot of different groups group of people, depending on on how you classifying gender, race, uh, and all different type of minority or not minorities. Because in some cases, um, if you look around the world, 
that we have witnessed discrimination again my majority so this is not going to be easy this is where we see um ai ethics being used as a as a as a as an instrument for um social change and social and political change and um that mainly happens in us where where we have seen a a, a lot of this discourse coming and um revelation in the last four years that ai discriminates or automates uh, discrimination um, but there's a positive angle in there right the fact that um the society got to pay attention and 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 there was a level of awareness there was reason as a result of those incidents that uh, put a lot of people on on the thinking track on how exactly do you, do we change the way not only we build those tools but how do we think a society and what changes we need to be, to be making and um i i, I love the work uh, steven and Kantra are doing uh, i'm working with them at cfi and we've been partnering with them since they launched in 2017 and they've been doing fantastic work around ai narratives and and this paper is part of the project ai narratives where they try to understand in various cultural context what how, how is um intelligence perceived and with that artificial intelligence and how it should be perceived and what are all these implications and and why um you highlighted an 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 unintended to a certain extent outcome of the use of ai in society which is a profound societal change my question is is how much we are prepared to do that right because there's a fine balance on how much change we push before we have a, a generalized uh, chaos in societies. And we've seen what happens if um, um, uh, it's enough to look at the four years in, in US and um, keep an eye on US going forward is unfortunately for us, for, for a certain extent, society is a big system and um, nothing is built anew. Everything is an evolution uh, or, or a, um, a, a different state of an existing system. And we have to be aware of that when we uh, desire to make some changes because um, th th there's a certain part to be taken when you change the system before you break them. And while we need to be making society, societies more, more fairer, and we also we we shouldn't try to to do it in a way that will create more conflict and and um, more dis disorder in society. Um, and I'm I'm very optimistic that 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 will happen uh, because there are a lot of good people out there, and especially the Gen Z that that they come with a different mindset that's more egalitarian and more more geared towards sustainability. The, the profound effects that Greta Thunberg has had on societies go well beyond um, her fight for uh, for uh, against the climate change into a new way of thinking and approaching things that we we stay in pause and also there to say that the current context uh, with with the virus has gave us the room and the space to to pause and think about things around us and see how do we want to change things and like always um, changing structures and processes is quite difficult but um, if we start changing mentalities we will see this change coming naturally over time and um, 
AI is the perfect tool for us to go to see to see where the biggest um, problems are and being able to prioritize it. And we should display a little bit of bravery towards, yes, let's acknowledge we have all this issue, but let's not stop blaming the blame game and pointing fingers and victimization. Let's work collectively to solve those problems. And this is where I'm fortunately a little bit less optimistic, again, looking at US. In the same time, there is this, it, it, it's not so much about the geographical boundaries, it's more about this collective mindset that is developing with the help of social media that allowed us to communicate and connect with, with people from so many different cultures that allow us to share also our, our thoughts about prosperity and how do we want to go about our lives from, from now on so that we'll ensure... Um, the prosperity that those machines will generate will be um, fairer distributed across, not just in the developing countries. I'm talking here about everyone in the world. And what we said before we started this recording, um, uh, countries like my, my native Romania um, and, and so many others uh, where we can see huge benefits of using technology. And, and I think it's only fair to start thinking about uh, technology with those lenses is not only something that will bring us mass unemployment or unintended consequences. Uh, the same technology has, has the real potential to uh, increase dramatically the life standard for many people who otherwise wouldn't have had access to, to knowledge and education and a lot of other services. Uh, but in order to do this, uh, I think we have to remember that if we blame each other, we're not going to go too far. So we have to find the middle ground, a middle earth, as I keep on saying it, in between the AI that shows us the wrongs and the, the, the real evil of society and prioritize that um, so, so that we can actually see the changes. I like the, the the sort of when you talked about the um, evolution um, and um, obviously society is a a big system. And I recently actually spoke to uh, a friend of mine, Lisa May Branson, who's the founder of Wonder Women Tech. And we talked about, you know, everything that's going on, you know, in the US and obviously the, um, ultimately the authorities change or the administration's changing now. Uh, obviously everything that's been stirred up um, through Black Lives Matter. And she said something quite profound. And what she said is that when you've got that pendulum completely pulled back on one side and you release it, it will naturally go all the way to the other side, to the other extreme before it comes back and starts evening itself out and lands in the middle. So we have to be prepared that we will go from one extreme to another but you know the hope is there that through this evolution we will be able to find some sort of middle ground and we just have to be prepared for that i hope so i really hope so <laughs> because you know this is how the universe uh, operates so um it's very nice um uh visual of this action reaction law physic um uh that your friend has described because that's exactly what happens you know um a, a, a stronger action form will trigger a, a reaction of the equal force. And before we see this uh, pendulum coming to a, uh, a neutral position, we'll see more swings on one side and on another, which are, are not necessarily um, 
bad, right? So I I feel like again what we have seen in US and we have seen in the AI community and all, even those strong narratives uh, that that paint paint uh, AI in a in a dystopian light are very useful to a certain extent because otherwise we wouldn't be um, incentivize um, to look into the matter and create a, some sort of urgency, right? So we as humans, we are complacent. We hate change. We we are comfort creatures, right? So mm-hmm. why bother? But events like this will make us rethink what happens around us and increase the level of our awareness. And that's why I said it's bravery. It's like being able to understand both sides in an argument, but also try as much as possible not to take sides because if everyone will take a side then we'll split the earth in two in two what we need actually is someone in the middle or a group in the middle so that it mediates right and at the end we again we come back together we will always have this dualism in in our society the question is is how do we come together how do we go to a yin and yang where both sides coexist as our brains so magically um, give us the a great tool of, of being both creative and analytical. Um, let's bring the two sides together and see how what's the middle ground. And that's the case for AI as well. So yes, we, we have these issues of whiteness of AI right now because, yeah, hey, most of the computer science world um, um, is the, the world of white men. But that's changing rapidly. Again, if you look at uh, uh, the... Other parts of the world, um, especially India, how much um, they have progressed in educating their young generation uh, in terms of STEM. It's fantastic what a, what, what, a, what a great human resource countries like India have uh, when it comes to technology. So I think we will change, see a change in, in this narrative very quickly. And just to echo what you just said, because I think that's the sort of the million dollar question, the sort of the golden question is that how and when do we come together and when we find that middle ground between the the, the, the both um, bipolarly different views. Mm. And um, and you already um, alluded and, and talked a little bit about um, AI ethics. Um, it, it obviously is clear that the traditional ethical standards for human subject research often do not consider structural inequities. And this is particularly alarming for the reasons, again, what we just talked about, you know, that AI can ingest, perpetuate and even legitimize inequalities to a scale and scope that no other technology has ever done before. So there is some serious work that needs to be done uh, in rethinking our tools for the evaluation, evaluation and creation of socially beneficial technologies. However, this seems um, a little difficult when, for instance, recently uh, Google, and obviously we mentioned uh, Google a couple of times today, um, laid off Dr. Timnit Gebru for raising concerns about their facial recognition AI that proven to be discriminating against black and people of color. Um, this, again, very literally proves that these organizations that are driving this work can't nor necessarily are interested in self-regulating because of lack of guidance and advice of what good AI looks like, each company produces their own examples of how good AI is deployed, leaving little scope for practical advice to influence how to implement ethical AI. And this with lack of regulation that you also mentioned, then leads to lack of accountability for bad or unethical AI. 
AI. So how and who do you see stepping into this to solve this problem or to help at least addressing this problem? And would you see it being um, a similar organization as, for instance, FDI is in health sector? Well, let's start a little bit debunking um, with the, the the example with, with Google. Uh, first of all, um, what we hear in the press was uh, a lot of one story, which was um, uh, Dr. Gebru's story. Uh, but I think if we start, take a step back, we have to consider the, the fact that um, Google is the only tech company that allow people like, like her to act and to be critical of uh, the, the same company that was paying her salary. That's unique, right? If you look at any other company, it doesn't do this. You are not being paid in the same time and asked to criticize um, the company. So I think it's really important for us to have a more balanced approach when we uh, discuss the state of those companies. And what you said earlier, I, I disagree. I, I, I would say I disagree strongly. We don't have so much evidence to see this was on purpose done, the fact that companies want to hide this. Again, we are talking about the unintended consequences of AI. And that was the, the subject in matter that led to uh, to the December um, firing resignation of Dr. Grebrew, was a paper that highlighted the impact of large uh, data sets in NLP. Uh, and um, that's what we have to have in mind is that we need to work with those companies by keeping them always in the naughty corner. We're not going to go too far because like always in every single domain of act the activity, um, there, there's a governance continuum, if we want. The laws uh, act in tandem with um, the soft laws and, and regulation and compliance that exist in the companies and also with the ethical uh, frameworks and code of conduct that regulate the personal uh, behavior of, of the uh, a certain uh, experts in that field. And by... Uh, Having this exclusive and radicalized approach, oh, it can't be done by Google, so we have to regulate them, or it can't be done by regulation, we have to apply self-regulation. Again, it's not helpful and we can't build progress, right? So let's look at how do we use these different tools, regulation, self-regulation, code of conduct, um, the public uh, advocacy and, and the, pub, uh, uh, the the society opinion to create meaningful frameworks that will allow us to, to use AI in a beneficial way. And um, that's where I feel that Europe is, is in a better position because they are thinking about bringing it all together. And it's, it's, it's not quite right that we don't have regulation. We have regulation. It's not apply and it has to some gaps. If you look at something like GDPR, has a lot of provisions for, for the use of algorithms and data, but it's still not uh, apply fully and it needs update. Yes, European Commission is working on that as is working on another regulatory framework, but we can only, those frameworks are only as effective as there is a certain um, moral behavior from the companies themselves. And while... Uh, uh, you know, the, the press has gone uh, too much into the direction of vilifying all those, those tech companies. 
um, and there's uh, uh, the, the business model is a different problem that definitely needs addressing and that definitely needs regulation. And uh, I think we will see much more progress from that is how, how money are being made with this technology. Also have to keep in mind, we need to work together on this and excluding them or, or taking them the right to correct what has happened. So it's, it's unhealthy. In a, it's unhealthy and gives ground for radicalization, and that's the worry with 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 the community AI and ethics community is that we are the ones that have to keep the middle ground. We cannot allow us to slip too much into one direction or another because we lose perspective, and that's what we need to be doing. Is right, we can't dismantle Google because we don't want to live without Google on the other side. And the same with Facebook, right? That's the alternative. So how can we work with them to actually find the right balance in between regulation that are there, but only applied in extreme situation? What we want is, is to develop an ethical behavior by everyone involved in this, in this process. And that was the case with, with, with previous technologies and previous scenarios was not just one tool or another, uh, creating an agency or, or pouring the world with new regulation. It was a, a, uh, a collection of instruments that will allow us to get to a, a ground where those who are um, in the unknown, uh, so not necessarily uh, evil or, 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 or good or evil, have been brought to the same, uh, on, on the same page. And that's the direction of travel we need to be taking. Sorry to be a bit strong on this, but I feel like um, uh, it's it's important for us to to keep this going. It's this dialogue in the diverse groups, um, and the bridges open um, regardless of of um, uh, personal incidents, because uh, otherwise we we wouldn't get to the position where we want to be, which is the use of AI to address societal problem and a beneficial and responsible use of that. And and you don't have to apologize at all. I think, um, you know, and, and the whole sort of reason for the conversation is to bring, you know, both points to the table and also to fill in the gaps where uh, potentially we don't often see them unless we are in the industry specifically working with those people and on those um on those projects ultimately so i'm actually quite glad that you did bring you know this uh, very different point to the table because i think you're right you know we can't be pointing fingers um big tech companies you know be it facebook or google are very easy to um you know villainize in in media and, and so on just because they are so big but at the same time i think um where these organizations hold the monopoly and they often do call the shots so sometimes when they do um do these things as as you know uh with dr timothy gabriel it just doesn't look good and it makes people um you know sort of like us who are on this side of that piece of work really question these organizations and their motives and, and you're right because of media but don't you we don't hear both stories and both sides of the story Yes, it's very easy to vilify big tech companies, but in, in, in the context that you described, we don't have the full information. We actually don't know what exactly happened there. And uh, uh, maybe one of the biggest questions that comes out of, out, out of this event is if this type of work should not be done in, independently by a governmental agency with or not with um, funding from 
um, private companies as we are doing it in so many other fields to maintain that independence, right? I think it's that's probably the biggest lesson learned in, in, in this context, not who was right, right or wrong. Like always when something, a relationship breaks, we know this, right? It's, uh, it's both parties, a contribution to the breakup of that relationship. That's the fact, right? Uh, the reality is that we need to be looking beyond that. And 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 maybe the way um, this type of work needs to be done is further away from any commercial interest where the money is being made so that um, uh, 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 this questioning uh, of, of uh, how AI is being done um, is, is detached for any commercial interest, right? And I think to me that's the biggest gain we have had is the fact we are now thinking about how do we start performing investigation and audit into the AI that's being used. And yes, we might need new agencies uh, like, like the one you mentioned, FDA, or uh, the current regulators, they, they might develop new capabilities. But it's definitely an area for us to be looking into it because we need it, right? Absolutely. Um, Marie, I think we've, we've come um, a full circle and we've talked so much and we've sort of looked at AI from very different points and very different views. Um, and I thank you for, you know, um, coming on sort of this journey uh, with me and bearing with me. So with everything that we've discussed today, um, how can we leave this conversation a bit of, uh, on a sort of more hopeful note? And I do know that you've mentioned a few things during the conversation already. Um, but what would you say is what is your hope for the future of AI and how do you see it benefiting us? Uh, an excellent question to, to wrap up our uh, exciting conversation. I would say with education and awareness, I think the fact that we have all these events in the last four years, both positive and negative, uh, or the way they've been portrayed in the media, have increased dramatically the level of awareness, not just the, the regular decision makers, but mostly the ones that um, didn't have necessarily the time or the experience or the needs to know. Now they know this, right? Um, even if you're not a fan of the social dilemma of Netflix, and I'm not a fan, I still have to give it the benefit of um, raising awareness among millions of viewers um, uh, about AI, its force and, and its dark force in many, many cases. So I'm very optimistic that people are, 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 are awake in, in understanding what happens around us. And I expect a, a stronger advocacy and, and a useful advocacy against um, the, the uses of technology from both those who can, um, the advocacy group, but also the, the wider civil society and, um, and uh, even the companies that produce themselves. I feel like we are starting to create a new demand in society for those companies to to behave ethically and uh, that's that's very exciting because we couldn't have had this if ai wouldn't have been such a hot topic in the media in the last years and people actually paying attention upskilling themselves and um, i look around myself and i see i look at my friends my family my co-workers and how much they upgraded their understanding about general tech also AI and that makes me as I said very very helpful because we have a, a ground to start and more money invested in an education in this field as the UK government does with the, the, the national program in the AI masters 
um, and many other governments that do the same, will allow us to have a workforce that is ready to understand the phenomenon and being able to build it in a way that is more sustainable. We didn't have this. That's why we have so many problems. It's such a, we're such a small um, uh, community of practitioners, uh, mainly white and male, that have worked in this field. But we see a strong uh, uptake from many diverse groups and it will take a while until we see those diversity numbers coming. But the most important one is this awareness followed by a uh, an, an upskilling, a serious upskilling and education of this topic that will allow us to have a more informed decision making at every level, uh, government, uh, private institution and also personal one. And that's exciting. It's positive, and um, um, I'm 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 very hopeful for the years to come for AI, because of this element alone. You know, uh, the people are here, and they actually want to use AI um, for their own benefit, and and not sleepwalking into a society that that uh, where where technology leads our lives. That's a very hopeful uh, and a beautiful message to finish on. And I think, it, you know, for me, just to add on to that, um, from what I've seen sort of outside in, um, even though, as you said, you know, of course, the um, the space is still dominated by white males. However, um, I do see a lot of very capable young women and women walking into this um, space and making a mark like yourself, like Dr. Kanta Dihal, like Ruman, Dr. Ruman Chowdhury. There's some, you know, amazing, amazing, uh, you know, females across the world doing some really phenomenal job um, in this area. So I think, um, again, you know, we just need to make sure that we, um, you know, profile these women, that we talk about these women and that we encourage the new generation um, into these subjects as well. Uh, because, you know, as we've always seen, representation does matter. So the more we you know, talk about these, um, you know, things that haven't worked out, uh, maybe a little bit less, like you say, and, and you've said it a few times, a little bit less of that finger point of a real, uh, real action. So thank you so much for spending this um, hour with me and, and like I said, going there with me and, and answering those questions and, um, and filling in the gaps and really providing uh, really rich uh, material for all of us to reflect on. So thank you so much for, uh, for being here. And, um, and yeah, no, I look forward to uh, keep following your work and any progress in the space of ethics of AI. Thank you very much for having me. That's a pleasure. As promised, a very juicy conversation. I think there's a lot for us all to reflect after this in terms of where do we stand in this equation as a user, as a bystander, or as an auditor. It is easy to get taken away by the majority on extreme and radical views. However, it's important for us to own our own truth, which is informed. And for that, please connect with Maria, who is a very active member of the AI ethics community on Twitter and other platforms. She shares a lot of very credible and interesting material to reflect on. As always, you'll find her details in the show notes. Equally, if you haven't already, please connect with me. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And I look forward to having you here again next Friday when I will be talking to Dr. Suzanne Wertheim on the power of language. Stay tuned and stay safe. Until next time.